Hey guys, Tina here. I'm just stopping in before you listen to this episode to say that I thought I knew that everything was working smoothly during this podcast episode. And upon playing back in order to edit it for you guys, discovered that yet again, my iPad failed to capture the audio that I was uh, recording separately. So true to the theme of trying not to be so perfect, I at first was quite angry and frustrated, but then I realized to let it go because you could still hear my words. Hopefully you won't be distracted as I was by the, uh, the way the audio was captured and that you could still hear the message. I'm sure it's, I'm the only one who's bothered by it, but, uh, we're all a work in progress. So please enjoy this episode of Girl Eats World, where I talk about the subject of fear. I just thought it would be a fun topic when I came up with this idea a couple weeks ago. But little did I realize that doing this podcast has become my biggest fear. <laughs> it's exhilarating for sure. It's exciting to be able to create something and put it out there on a platform for all to see. But at the same time, that means that it's out there for anybody to judge. And I guess that's what, I just don't want to hear that. Am I afraid of it? I guess I am. But mostly because I don't want to deal with it. You know, because this is exploratory and I don't need to have people who aren't doing anything comment and, and then like while I'm a work in progress, you know? That's the beauty of the internet these days. It's like we're allowed to not have perfection and that's what I'm trying to cultivate here. Gosh, I don't even know where to begin right now. There's a lot to cover on the topic of fear. I have a quote here from Nelson Mandela that I thought I'd start us off with. I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. As we talk about it today, I think that quote will um, be very relevant in how I'm trying to structure the way that I look at my own fears, you know, what I can do about them. So I thought we should just go to the definition and start from there. So what is fear? Fear is an instinct, it's a survival instinct because we are animals after all, and we need to be able to protect ourselves from danger and from external threats, or at least what started out as an external threat, right? When animals would try to kill us or neighboring tribes would try to kill us, um, or, you know, there wasn't enough food. That's another threat, disease. Granted, all those things are still there, but less, less so in the forefront, right? So now that instinct, it's still there, 
but the threat themselves, the threats themselves, are replaced by things that we imagine, that we anticipate, mental and emotional things. And what it means to, to survive now is, is different. You know, it, it's, it's still about life and death and passing along our seeds um, and our genetics. But survival now means making money to be able to, at minimum, buy food, um, lease shelter. If you're lucky enough, you buy your shelter, you buy your house. And you keep going from there and see how much you can build and accumulate to protect against future threats, i.e. loss of that money that helps you preserve your state of comfort. Man, thinking about how we anticipate threats it's like why do we why do we do that? I guess I guess what's happening is you learn, right? You learn by observing others, others in worse off states than you and you do not want to be there. You learn from stories, stories from other people, stories that we tell each other, also stories in the media. Maybe they're real stories in the news or they're stories that are imaginary in the books we read. Um, in songs, all of that. And we create, we, we take those and we catalog them in our brains. And it's information. Information is valuable. That's how we learn. So then through all of that, we create these, these threats in our, in our head or we prepare ourselves for them. That's smart, right? You have to be prepared but I guess it's how you prepare for them. You know, when you think of fear, I think of, I always go primal first and then, you know, I move forward in time after that. But primally, fight or flight, our bodies have a response. Hormones do their thing. I can't name exactly what hormones. Your adrenaline, of course kicks in and your heart rate goes up, your muscles tense up. I'm sure other things are happening. Your pupils dilate. All of this in physical preparation to handle whatever threat is coming your way. And so some of us, some of us do have a more um, active, aggressive response where we fight whatever that means, a literal fight because you're being physically threatened or you have some agency so you do, you, you do something about your, you know, your state of vulnerability because you don't want to be there. And then some of us freeze up or we, or we run away from our problems because we, that's, I mean, it's a reactive thing. I don't know how much you can control that control that in that moment, how you respond to a threat. But some of us run away. Some of us freeze up because we don't know, we don't know what to do. But I was thinking about that 
in those terms. And, you know, I, it's easy to look at problems and try to fix them when they are external. What I mean by that is, and this, and, and being a woman is not a problem per se, but living in this world where there are physical threats. So like, as a woman, I feel like you think about physical, like primal threats more so than some others, especially myself as a small, you know, very petite lady. You go about the world prepared for someone to hurt you, right? You grow up, you, you're, you're raised um, being told that, that someone's going to try to rape you or kill you or whatever, right? And kidnap you. That's just the, that's just the storyline that goes, uh, that repeats itself. Um, and so you can choose to be afraid of that threat or you can do something about it. So, you know, my last, in the last episode, my sister, we talked about how we both were really attracted to martial arts and combat sports. And so we both learned how to, um, to fight in different ways. But bottom line is we wanted to learn how to protect ourselves. And in that pursuit, um, we found this other avenue of expression. And it was purely physical. Um, and it's exhilarating. And... So it's easy to solve that problem. I learn how to fight. So when that fear comes about, my instincts, because I've trained them, that's the thing, right? Is we are not helpless to how we respond to external threats. If we train for it, if we practice, then we can have new reactions. It is not what you were born with and then that's it and you are stuck with whatever, right? You can put... Matt, you could take matters into your own hands and change that. But when it comes to mental, emotional threats, we assume that there's nothing we can do about that. That's just who we are. But more and more I've come to realize that that's not the case. It's really a choice. And the discomfort of facing whatever it is that that puts you in that state of paralysis or or makes you want to flee it's uncomfortable and you know in the moment you feel it's totally unnecessary why am i being subjected to this or why am i subjecting myself to this but it's that's how that's how you get over that fear. Obviously, I'm thinking about, um, not obviously, I don't know how obvious it is, but public speaking, right? So, so I started out by saying that the podcast, I'm realizing, is one of my biggest fears. And putting myself out there is one of my biggest fears. So... I may be dragging my feet to do the next episode, but I have to do it. I have to keep doing it. So what you're witnessing right now is me really putting myself in an uncomfortable position in order to not feel this way anymore. So I don't believe that we need to be helpless to our fears. We can choose 
to have a different reaction. But whatever our reaction is, we have to practice that over and over again until it becomes instinctual. But you can change. I don't know about your fear of spiders, though, because, you know, them things are scary. But, uh, yeah, for the most part. No, actually, that's not true. I think you can. I think you can. just depends on, on your willingness to be, you know, on your willingness to, uh, to deal with that. Like, do you, do you want to be a little bitch or no? I was trying to reflect a lot on what my actual fears are you know, in preparation for this podcast. And of course, I, I sometimes have a hard time recollect, recollecting anything that's not really immediate. But so this podcast is one, I swear to you, I, you know, I have to listen to this recording a couple of times over to be able to edit it and cut it down for different things. And uh, listening to myself, like I told you in the first episode that I have this, I don't know when it started. I was estimating around 2016, around the election, the presidential election, but um, it could have been even before that. At some point in time, I just really lost my ability to be able to articulate my thoughts. And I, I became a lot more hesitant in my words and it's like I don't have language anymore. And so, and it gets worse, it gets enhanced when I'm sitting next to somebody who is extremely articulate and hyper-intelligent. So in my last episode, talking to my sister, I was, I was trying not to be in my head. and actually wasn't. But in fact, I feel like I was too out of my head. Um, and I found myself unable to really ask questions and communicate the way that I wanted to and convey my, what I was trying to, to say, my ideas um, in that episode. And it really bothered me. And I just, I was just so sick of my own voice. So sick of my own voice and my dumb dumbness. That's how, that's like, I'm my worst troll. I, I could not stand it. What's another fear? I fear sucking at something publicly. <laughs> That sounds awful. Take that out of context, folks, and put that out on the internet. I am trying to think of the first time that that's ever happened to me. And it just, you know, we, if a threat becomes learned, it's because either it was one time we had a bad experience or we witnessed it doing some damage. And now we protect ourselves from, from seeing or feeling that threat again. Uh, and I guess it all started, I mean, it has to start in school, in grade school, right? Where else do we learn embarrassment? PE, PE was a nightmare. And so that, I guess that's, that was my, that was my fear predominantly was doing things in front of people that were requiring hand-eye coordination. Usually there was a ball involved and not sucking, not, not being absolutely terrible so that, you know, there was judgment. Team sports. Why was that fe fearful of that? Well, it's because I am on a team that's relying on me to not suck so that we win. And I'm competitive. I don't like to admit it, 
but I am competitive. Because if you admit that you're competitive, that means that you better do, do well. You better be able to handle yourself and whatever it is. And so if you don't admit that you're competitive, then you can get away with slinking back if you happen to suck at the thing. So I get competitive if I know I'm good at something. But if I'm not, then, I'm, then I don't care. And ladies and gentlemen, I don't advise you to be that way because that's not how, how heroes are made, <laughs> all right? Heroes are made in the face of adversity. They triumph over that by continuing to work hard and be dedicated and not slink away at the first sign of, of that adversity. But I'm trying to think of the worst basketball. Basketball was awful. Baseball, ugh, kill me now. Baseball was maybe worse than basketball because basketball was least inside and the, the target itself was not, I mean, it's not too far from the state of play like the entire time, right? But baseball, if you're out in the outfield and you got a little glove, you got this tiny object in the air and this it's sunny outside and all that stuff. And then the panic sets in of, you know, you're not gonna be able to catch it. Football too, basically anything outdoors. Cause that, cause that football, these boys would throw it and it would be so fast. And when it spirals, of course it's even faster and it's even smaller than if it was just like tumbling around in the air. And the funny thing is, if I don't think about it, like if it's something, if I, if I, I don't have time to acknowledge that someone's watching and that an object is coming at me, my hand-eye coordination is right there. Like I, you know, if I'm not thinking and someone throws something at me, like the other day, a friend of mine threw a remote at me, like really fast. It was like, hey, here. And then I turn, look over my left shoulder and I just stick my hand up and catch the remote. And that was because I didn't even know, I'd like, I, couldn't, I couldn't get in my own way. I think about this all the time. And I don't, I don't know how to overcome that. I know I spoke earlier about training yourself and I guess really like I need to just what, train, train one-handed catch. Um, but it's hard to train yourself against the mental blocks that you put in your way because you just wanna do good. You just wanna do well. That's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Having standards, it's not a bad thing. But at what point is it problematic? How do you meet in the middle? How do you still strive to do great things, to do them well? Not even great things. How do you strive to just go about your life, do things well, but also not, not worry too much about seeking perfection and whatever it may be so that you could just you know, do well enough and just move about your life and not be, I mean, I'm, I, that's my specific problem. I mean, some of you out there are like, what are you talking about? I just, you know, you don't care. You like 
fucking wash dishes and leave shit on the dishes still and you don't see that there's like hair everywhere on the sink or something I mean you know just like <laughs> some of us are just a hyper vigilant and it's stressful but where am I rambling to all right my own fears and just worrying about what other people think yeah it's tough it's, I guess it's a matter of what, what do you care about enough to work on and overcome. But I do believe it's possible to overcome. It's just that knowing how, knowing, knowing how to be diligent about the work to get yourself out of that fear-based thinking is probably the biggest challenge. And if you're someone who doesn't like to ask for help or, you know, don't want to burden other people with your problems, then it, then it can be tough. So a lot of self-evaluation, if you have the ability to, to, you know, be introspective would be great. Would be great. What am I afraid of? I'm afraid of outer space, okay? I'm afraid of not being able to breathe and then dying. Um, I'm afraid of standing up in a really high, you know, like, I'm afraid of heights and uh, afraid of falling and dying. So the, the true fear is if you're dying. Right? They heard me. They agree. Honk if you agree. I hate enclosed spaces. Oh my God. The thought of, so I'm Vietnamese, right? And um, the Vietnam War happened way back. That's what brought me here. So it's really ironic that I'm kind of thankful for it. Fucked up to say, but it's true. It brought me to America, brought me to America. But I think about all those people who were crawling around in that, in the, in the tunnel systems that they created. Oh, that gives me the heebie-jeebies. And when they show, when you watch on like History Channel or whatever, where they, they take the cameras down there, or I've seen diagrams drawn of like how they lived underground. Are you kidding me? No, thank you. No, thank you. I'm just imagining like, I have nightmares about this. I have nightmares about this. Or like when they show toddlers who have fallen into like pipe systems, right? And it's not that big. They're not that big, which means that they just plug that shit right up and they're in there and the walls are just right up against their face and stuff and you can't move around so you're stuck. Ugh. So that's where outer space comes in because essentially outer space is that. Granted, there are no walls up against your face and pinning you in a small confined area. It's the opposite, it's space. There's so much room, but the oxygen is the same in that there is none. So it is frightening to me, but it's also my favorite genre of movie to watch. Like I really, that's, I guess, you know, I don't, I never understand why people like scary movies, you know, but it makes them excited when they watch it, right? It's like a, an adrenaline rush and then you, you know, you get your, your rocks off. I guess space movies do that for me. I'm, I'm realizing that now because I hate scary movies, but I do like space horror. I don't let, I don't, I don't like to let people know that I'm afraid, like, that's that's an, that's another thing. It's like fear of knowing that I'm the weak one. Ooh, cuz that's that's a threat. 
you don't want to be the weak link. You don't want to be the one holding people down, holding the group back. You want to hold people down, actually. Like that's like that's a good thing, right? That's a good thing. But you don't want to hold people back. You don't want to be the the weak link that people have to consider for because, you know, they have to to pull your weight. And when did that start? I'd like to think that when I was a kid, I didn't go straight to my mom and dad crying, asking for them to protect me or anything like that. Like I remember being really terrified of this poster in my bedroom because I swore that those eyes were watching me and plotting my death. But instead of getting out of my bedroom and running to my mom and dad's room, crying and sleeping in the comfort of their bed, I definitely just told myself to deal with it like I remember oh my god I'm like okay if you're gonna if she's gonna kill you deal with it you gotta go to sleep so just turn your back to the to the poster and pull the covers up because the covers will protect you but if they don't then that's that but just do it just go to sleep that's how I talked myself out of that anytime I'm in a group I don't want to be the weak one for sure. Like if, if everybody is in a state of panic, I have the opposite reaction. I'm realizing that now. Like when I am, I mean, this isn't really fear. I guess it is a fear for some people, but like in school when there's a test and everybody's in a panic about it because they're not sure if they're gonna pass and if they studied enough, I have the opposite reaction. I'm like, cool as a cucumber, bring on the test. I got it. Or like if something's going down and, and someone's injured or something, having the wherewithal to, you know, be the one to make sure everybody's okay and like make sure the hurt person is is cared for. When I was at my great grandmother's funeral, and everybody around me was crying. Like I'm a I'm a crybaby, okay? Like before before um recording today, I watched the uh like behind the scenes like 40 minute special of, about uh episode 3, The Long Night for Game of Thrones. And I was crying watching the behind the scenes Jorah, Mormont, they talked about that. And the actor got all, you know, emotional and Amelia Clark got emotional about it. And I definitely did because how could you not? Um, I'm a softie. I cry at a lot of things. But at my great-grandmother's funeral, which very valid to be crying and sad. And I was sad leading up to it. But everybody around me was in absolute tears and I just did not, it's not that I didn't feel anything, but I kind of did it. It, it, it. Yeah, I was like, my face was completely dry and I didn't even like shudder and hold it back. I just, it felt like an out of body experience. And they carried her body in. I think this is just, I mean, this might be just a Vietnamese thing. Maybe it's an Asian thing. Maybe it's rooted in some Chinese culture or whatever, because I don't, I don't really know where it all stems from. It's like the family tree, the grand human race tree on the Asian side is kind of, anyway. Um, 
so the tradition is that they carry the body in. Like, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I'm not misremembering this, but they carried the body in flat, like, like on a, just a, a flat board. I mean, it was sturdier than a board, but like, essentially that's what it was. And they, they carried her or wheeled her in. And so she's not encased in a, in a casket. Cause I, I'm pretty sure, am I remembering wrong? <laughs> because I'm pretty sure that's what it was. She was just laying on a table, you know? And, um, yeah. And it's kind of, it's kind of terrifying, sort of. I mean, not. I didn't feel terrified, but just the thought of that is kind of terrifying for the little kids. So there's a good chance a lot of them are crying because like they're sad, but also there's a dead body on the table, and she's and then she's right there. She's just right there, and we're on our knees in front of it, her and you know. Uh, but yeah, I looked around everybody. Even my dad, I think, or maybe my dad and I were the only ones holding it down as far as like our emotions, but everybody was just fucked up, fucked up. But yeah, I kind of am afraid of spiders, to be honest. But the funny thing about that is that I don't know where, I mean, I'm just, ugh, I don't know what my problem is. I have some toxic masculinity issues in myself. <laughs> no, that's not true. Um, but kind of. I am afraid of spiders. When I'm by myself, they terrify me. Like I get, like, like I jump just like anybody would and, you know, compose myself and then handle it. But I definitely am like jittery. And like when I go to bed at night, I think about them crawling underneath my sheets. I dream about that sometimes, about a lot of spiders crawling around. I see them sometimes if if I'm really tired, you know, and your eyes do the, the stars or like the weird kind of, you know, dancing um, specks in your line of sight. I see spiders like in my periphery, which if you're an optometrist or a neuro, uh, a brain specialist, whatever, and you hear me saying this, please let me know if that's actually a problem and not just a, like a little occasional quirk. But um, yeah, I'm afraid of spiders. But when I'm in front of people, I remember in middle school, I would pick up spiders. Like if, if we were in a group and it was typically a group of girls because, you know, that's who I hung out with. But if I saw a spider and everybody freak would freak out and jump back and do all that business I would step up and do like do it up even more and instead of finding something to catch the spider or kill the spider on the spot I would pick up the spider with my hands I would pick up the spider with my hands cup it and then close it with the other hand and then open the door and release it into the wild as if I really give a shit about its life I know I grew up Buddhist and we're supposed to care about every single life form and like, you know, whatever. But like, I kill spiders. Okay, my bad. My bad, but they're in my space. Circle of life. I'm allowed to do that. But for whatever reason, and I think the reason why I did that was because this this um, this friend of mine was that kind of person where she would pick up the spider. And I saw her do it once. I saw her do it once and my competitive nature kicked in and I was like, um, 
you're not going to be the toughest bitch in the room. I'm going to do that too. So ever since that moment on, whenever there was a group and there was a spider, I would do that because I thought that was badass or like show offy. And I, I wanted to do that too, because I could do that. I ain't, I ain't scared. I ain't afraid of cat. Earlier I said I'm not competitive, um, mostly, but when I'm competitive, I'm competitive and in a petty way. Like I have to, I'm, I'm not very sportsmanlike in my brain. I'm definitely not. So, um, so that's what I meant earlier about being toxically masculine. That's, that side of me is not, I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I asked you guys on Instagram what your fears were because I, I wanted to know if some of the same ones come up and um, nothing too shocking. You know, I think we all uh, as humans, as modern humans, we all develop similar fears. Um, although spiders and snakes made the cut, guys, why is that? Is it, is it media images, right? That, that contributes. Um, also there's a, I think it's, it's called epigenetics or I don't know if this is quite the same, but basically our, our primitive ancestors had legitimate fears, uh, because those were actual threats to them, right? On a regular basis. And that, that is a learned reaction, um, that gets carried on somehow. I don't know how, but things like that, emotional reactions to things, stuff that you wouldn't think it's passed down, um, does get passed down. So we've learned that fear, even though, I mean, we obviously encounter spiders a whole lot, but snakes and all that, it's, it's just interesting to think about. So think about your, think about how you are a victim of shit that's not even real. That's, that someone has put on you because they wanted you to react a certain way to the thing that they're talking about on the news or in the movies or in the books. And now you're walking around scared of something that's never going to be a problem. Isn't that fucked up? If you think about it. If you think about it that way. I think it is. Because here you are just trying to live your life. And if you never, you know, learn to be afraid of snakes, you could, you could... Just, I don't know, go to the jungles and like be chill. Instead, we're freaked out. Like I I never, I always hear about like crazy, crazy animals and bugs in like Australia and the outback or whatever. No, thank you. Or all the nasty shit in the jungles of anywhere. Big bugs, sweaty little bugs, snakes and reptiles and monkeys that tear your face off and stuff. What was I talking about? Oh, yes. Fears that you guys shared with me. So, yeah, spiders, snakes made the cut. Like I said, we also have fear of public speaking, which, I mean, that's just a fear. That's, it's a fear of judgment, right? A very real threat for us in this modern age is um, a social, like a threat to our social standing. And public speaking is a very, I would say it's like a dominant, um, tr uh, the ability to do public speaking and do it well and be comfortable at it. That's a very dominant personality trait. And if you're not that and you're forced in that position, it can feel unnatural. And so you respond by being afraid because you don't, you don't want to then 
don't know, have your mental, emotional, social standing be exposed, I guess. Maybe that's the way to look at it. I, my personal experience with public speaking, it's, I don't know how my fear got learned, but I was so comfortable with it in my teenage years. Um, you know, I spoke on behalf of uh, this DigiPen program. I think I talked about it in episode one, where I was like a part of this high school video game program. It was the first year they'd done this. Um, and DigiPen, I think, is, st is still kicking, right? Designing, uh, teaching college students how to build video games. And I remember going to, like, the state legislature, like the um, Committee on Education Technology or something like that, you know? And sharing, our, you know, the program, the, the benefits of the program and, like, what we learned and stuff and going to like teacher conferences and standing. I remember that was, that was probably the coolest moment in my life up to that point. And I felt like, God, I wish, I wish I could replicate this feeling and be more confident adult. Cause I was a fucking confident high schooler. Ironically, even though I had some like major outcast issues or like feeling like an outcast, but blah, whatever. Um, I, they flew me to this, you know, it was like from Seattle to Spokane or something. So not that crazy of a big deal. But, you know, I got to fly in a, like a little plane over to the other side of the state and go to a teacher's conference and stand in front of all these adults. And uh, I remember being like witty and getting people warmed up and laughing before we then presented our school project. And that was a really glorious feeling. And from then on, I was like, this is my thing. I am a public speaker like this. I could, I could do this. This is, I can get the, I can get used to this. And then somehow as I got older, it was like, it was like, I, I felt, you know, that's, this is, this is imposter syndrome, right? It is a fear of being found out that then when you have nothing to fear, a fear of being found out that you don't know what you're talking about, even though you do, but you don't want that interpretation on you. So then, so then you're overly conscious about what is happening and then you're unable to overcome it and you freeze up and that is the worst. And I hate, and it, and it's, it's knowing my past and knowing how I used to feel. And then as I get older, when I should be feeling even more confident, when I feel the opposite, it is so infuriating and I feel like it feeds into itself and it gets worse. Because oftentimes I have nothing to fear. Like I know what I'm talking about most of the time, but it's like you become hyper-focused on how other people receive you because you want to be taken seriously because it's you're competing for social standing. You're competing for social standing. You're competing for um, money, essentially, right? Success. You're competing to prove that you deserve to be where you are or even deserve to be in a place above where you are um, God, so the stakes are high. So that's our, that's our, that's, that's our biggest threat right now in, in modern times is, uh, threats to our, um, route to success, whatever that may be. Other fears that you shared with me, being manipulated. So when I, so when I read this, I definitely wondered you know, how, how many experiences does this person have to 
to develop that fear because I don't really think about being manipulated, probably because I tend to manipulate people. We all do, by the way. We all, in some way, right? We know how to leverage other people's reactions to us to our advantage. That's just, I think that's just instinctual to be, to be, if you're, if you're, if you're um, savvy enough in social interactions, you do manipulate people to some degree. But when you are a sociopath and you manipulate people to a degree, in which um, enters into the fucked up territory, like you are purposely hurting them, but it's just the long game versus, you know, hurting them in very quick, in their face ways. Uh, yeah, this is a conversation I would love to have with this individual and find out, you know, what what types of things have happened in the past to, to fear that. I can imagine, um, you know, I don't know, thinking about family and parents, and relationships with fathers that can tend to, not that I'm alluding to anything personally that is like that, but I can kind of see maybe where, where that could be the root of something um, for some people, you know, being manipulated by their father first and then having that translate uh, or, or manifest itself and repeat itself in relationships as you, as you, you know, get older. That's, that's a very real thing. Isn't that crazy how that happens? It's like you don't you don't want to seek those out. You don't you don't want to repeat yourself, but somehow you you learn something, right, about the world, whether it's you you know, whether it's something that's happening to you or you're contributing to it, but it's but it's definitely patterns. And somehow throughout your life, you become attracted to similar patterns and then it's a, it's just a natural, you just fall into it. So in order to break yourself out of any cycle, you really have to be self-aware and like be able to acknowledge what's really happening and not, not let it, you know, destroy you, but overcome it somehow. I just took a little bathroom break and I thought about editing this out, but I just want you to know that I went to the bathroom but I realized something that I definitely have a fear of urine in the streets. And that's only something you really learn if you encounter it a lot. And my time living in San Francisco, it San Francisco is a beautiful town. And I'm actually going to visit very soon. I'm very excited to see what it's like now. But it smells like urine. It smells like urine. And you know, it's not its fault. Um, the people who, you know, it's not, it's not even their fault. They don't have a place to go to the bathroom. So they go where they need to. And I've been there guys. I've been there. We all been there. I contributed to the pee smell also, you know, we, we party, we got to go to the bathroom. There's only one, there's a long line. We could pee on our clothes, right? Or we could figure it out. And between two parked cars is a perfect, perfect place for a girl to pop a squat. But uh, seeing a lot of like human feces, definitely you, you get a fear of like, anytime I go on an escalator <laughs> and it just takes one, it just takes one encounter to establish this fear for life. But anytime I go, especially on an outdoor escalator. So typically it's um, going down to like the subway or something like that escalator, uh, maybe even at the airport, but that I will never lean against 
the wall of the escalator. I will never, I'll put my hand on an escalator, which is very bold um, based on what I've seen in my day, but I won't ever put my body against, um, against it at all. So the hand is, is manageable, right? It's a distance. I'll never lean against a wall, especially a public wall, an outdoor one, because you, because I've seen things, folks. I've seen things that you just don't think that they're possible, that we are capable of such things, but we are, you know, desperate times. I was on an airplane just last, you know, like two weeks ago, a week ago or whatever. I don't know what time it is anymore. Um, and we, I had a beer before I took off and I really thought I'd be fine. You know, I didn't, I was, I even ate, I ate a lot of food along with that beer and it was healthy food too. Quinoa and shit. I bought quinoa at the airport. I mean, come on. And I had a beer to go along with it and uh, thought I'd be padded, thought I'd be good. We take off, we're about to take off. It's that brutal time between, you know, pulling away from the gate and then like getting in line to be able to take off. That is the worst waiting game. It's the same when you land and you taxi to the gate and you don't have an open gate yet and get to wait your turn or something, like whatever, whatever traffic issues happen at the airport. I had to pee so bad, so bad. And I was in the middle seat in coach and the need to pee struck me so intensely that like, like it, it was zero to a hundred. Like it wasn't like that gradual, like, oh, I, I can go, but I can also hold it in. I'm chill. No, this was like, holy fuck. I'm so glad I have extra clothes in my backpack that are easily accessible because this might come out right now. And I, I try not to, you know, cause any trouble or whatever. So I hardly ever like ask for help or anything like that. But I definitely flagged the flight attendant down. And I was like, hi, I really have to go to the bathroom. Is there any way? Because we were still taxiing. And she was like, I'm sorry, the doors are locked right now. And I'm like, really, bitch? Do you want to help me unlock? And she she said, we'll have to delay the, you know, we'll delay things if we do that. I'm like, um, okay, so you can make that choice and delay these folks by a couple minutes, which I have no problem getting on the mic and the little telephone mic situation you got and tell everybody that it was my fault. That's totally fine because you either choose that or, and I'll go fast. I mean, I didn't go fast when I ultimately went, but I'll go fast or I'll go right here and you'll have to clean it. So if you're chill with cleaning my piss off this chair, then all the more power to you, lady. But anyway, I definitely, Oh, it was a battle. I, I made peace in my mind, ooh, probably every other minute or so. Like, okay, I'm gonna pee myself on this uh, flight right now. How do I feel about it? And that was how I passed the time. I was like, okay, well, I think this is it. It's, hap it's gonna happen, it's happening. All right, no, okay, somehow I found a way and like, you know, my, you know, my, I'm like squeezing my muscles down there, like so hard trying to hold on. And it was holding on for so long that your muscles fatigue. Right. And I was like, ah, this is it. This is it. This is it. I'm sitting next to this guy and he happens to be just a fun fact. He happens to be the VP of sales for Kings Hawaiian rolls. You know what those are? 
If you don't look them up, they're delicious. Um, and so he's a nice enough guy. He's very social. He flies every week. So, you know, he's chill. And he obviously hears and sees all my, just what I'm going through. And he's like, you have like 10 minutes, you know, before they, before you'll be able to go. Like they, it's, it really is locked. That bathroom is locked for takeoff. And like right before the seatbelt sign goes off, like it'll be open. And I'm like, you promise? He says 10 minutes, but to me, 10 minutes at that point sounds like ages. And uh, we're still taxiing. That brutal, brutal taxiing period is just the absolute worst for your anxiety if you have any situation. Like for me, it's just impatience usually to like get going, to get, you know, flying or landing and getting to my destination. But man, so here's some tips. This is just a complete random side note and we're going on forever about it, but we're gonna do it. This guy Googles for me how to how to stop like the need to pee. And I'm in a state of panic. Like, you know, my muscles are fatiguing on me. I straight up put my hands in between my legs. And you know, it just looks like I'm like, oh, I gotta pee. But I actually have my middle finger pushed up against my, my uh, urethra as much pressure as I can get. Luckily, the woman to my right who had the window seat, luckily she was going through some, like, I don't, I don't think she was afraid of flying necessarily, but I think she was just like tired because it, it was the second leg of her journey. Um, and she also had some like joint issues. So she kept on focusing on her knee, straightening her leg out and stuff, and then like trying to locate some Advil or whatever. So she didn't give a shit what I was going through. But the guy, homie, who typically sits in first class, now is stuck on in coach for whatever reason, sitting next to this girl who might pee herself. And he's kind of entertained by it. But uh, yeah, so here I am like, I'm going to pee. I'm going to pee. And I'm like shaking. And I'm like doing these things where I'm like extending my, my, my back and just like looking out the window and trying to get different positions. So I get some pressure on my urethra. <laughs> he Googles how to hold your pee and he's like you gotta he he basically was telling me to do kegels so kegels help you hold your pee and i know that's a no duh because it's developing developing the muscles but it's not just do kegels it's like do the rhythm so you do um let's say and i think it's a trick too to like focus on something else and not the fact that you have to pee but you know you hold for five seconds and then let go for five seconds hold for five seconds let go for five seconds and then you do that until you can hold for longer six seconds, let go for six seconds. So you just kind of increase your your count up to whatever. And at the time when he showed me that, I was like, I'm sorry, dude, but it's gonna happen right now. So just live with it. <laughs> um, but it actually worked, but I got to, I got up to 250. That's where I was at. And it like, actually, it's funny, it kind of felt like an orgasm, not in like a mental, like the the mental part, that's the feel good part. It was just like the actual like physical reaction down below um, that was just kind of like pulsing because, you know, you're essentially holding that muscle really tight and letting it go and just that fluttering happens. So anyway... I managed to survive. I made it to 250, the count to 250. That gave me plenty of time to relax because it does really work. Somehow it like stops things, but then it comes right back again. And then you have to hold tight and you gotta count some more. Brutal. 
So yeah, that was a fat tangent, but like I said, I'm scared of uh, pee in the streets. Let's go back to our list of uh, listener fears. Oh, this is a good one. The fear of letting fear keep this person, like the fear of letting that fear keep them away from opportunities. Um, and I guess I've been talking to this point for the entire episode so far, but just, it's not like you fear the opportunity, but you want to do well at the opportunity. You want to have that opportunity mean something and have it not be wasted. So if you put that pressure on yourself and it's similar to what I was speaking earlier about the pressure to be perfect or to at least maybe not perfect, but like do things to a certain standard that you have for whatever it is. Um, that I've already, see, I've lost my train of thought. What the fuck, man? Um, it's not, it's not the fear of the opportunity, but it's the fear of not living up to and making it mean something. And you know, there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees that you aren't going to suck. Okay. Let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about, let's talk about like just being terrible at something and having it be um, acknowledged and known that you are terrible at something. That's scary for some of us. Some of us don't give a shit. And those people are incredible to me. Like I admire people who suck at stuff and don't care that they do. And they still, they still go about their lives and figure out what they are good at, or they're good at one thing or a certain area of things. And then somewhere else they really are terrible and that's totally cool. And they live in it and it's, amazing. That's wonderful. You know, why, why do we fear being bad at things so much? What does it even matter? And we're, we're going to go back to the, the, the trolls and, and the people who, who, um, get ugly and make you feel bad for trying things. It's easy to feel hurt because you just want to do good and you want to feel good and you want to get encouragement. This is very normal, but it, it's, it takes a, a step further to take the time to like, look at it and go, you know, what is the source of that ugliness? Who are these people? These people can't be happy. I keep talking about this in the last episode, particularly, but hurt people hurt people. It's just, that's how we, that's, I guess, I guess it's the um, hierarchy of like a social hierarchy. If you feel terrible and you don't know, if you don't have the skills, you, if you're not equipped with the tools to look at yourself and evaluate yourself in a way where you can take actionable steps to make yourself uh, feel better or put you in a better place or what have you. If you don't have those skills, all you know is to attack other people. That's a very, that's actually a very natural instinct, right? Like, I'm not going to die. You're going to die. If it's one of us, it's going to be you. So then that puts me on a step above. That's so, man, and this is advice to myself, obviously. It's like, 
who cares what people think? Because if they think something bad and they say they feel emboldened by sharing it with you that what they think that's negative about you, they're the one who's got a lot of work to do, right? Feel sorry for those people that, that all they can contribute to the world is to put people down. If you're, if you're occupied with your own things and focusing on what you're doing and contributing to the world and how, you know, what, what impact you're going to, to have and, and what legacy you're going to leave, if, if that is predominantly trolling other people, then, oh man, I don't want to be that person. I feel really bad for that person. And just wish the best for them, you know, and wish things had ended up better. So if it's possible for you at all to be able to train yourself to remember any time that instinct kicks in, that you try to stop yourself from doing stuff out of fear, if you're able to just think about, okay, why do I fear? Who, who do I fear? What are those people? What do they mean to me in the scheme of things? And then take yourself out of it and like look at, those people as just people who are lost even more than you because at least you know what opportunities you want to try and that you're you're holding yourself back from that's great that's a great place to be because it's right there the opportunities are right there you just gotta like jump over be Arya Stark man just fucking own your destiny own your purpose and just dive over the uh, circle of white walkers and stab the Night King in the heart. Sorry, I should have said spoiler alert, but I mean, what are you doing with yourself? Yeah, be Arya Stark. I should just I should just end the episode there, but I have more to go. We've got fear of debt. I mean, it, it all it all ties back to survival, folks. That's the modern condition. We um, are all striving for survival. Survival means having the money to live comfortably um, or, or to be able to accumulate like, you know, things that you need for survival or leisure, right? Like now that's a measure of survival in a sense. It's like, it's not good enough just to have a house, but you need an iPhone. You need a phone. You need a, you need a, um, a, a data plan. You need, you know, you need all these like things that aren't really necessities, but um in order to have those things, you accumulate debt. And if it gets out of hand, then it compromises everything that you've tried to accumulate. Um, so yeah, debt is scary. It's very scary. And um, honestly, I mean, in the position that I'm in, trying to figure out what my next steps are in my career, debt is a very much a looming presence because I know how to work for other people because I've been doing that for all my life but I'm making the decision now and trying to structure now how I can work for myself and that's scary because there's no clear blueprint if you work for someone else the blueprint is there because they give you directive like that's that's your job you show up and you check off the task list task 
list items. When you work for yourself, I mean, yeah, you, you have an idea of what you need to do and you could do those things. But beyond that, a lot of it is um, up to the unknown and you've got to, um, there's no script to follow. You, you just got to like, in my case, find clients and go from there. But uh, when you've never had clients before, how do you, you know what I mean? Like you, you end up doing a lot of things in your head um, anticipating the problems that you're going to encounter and that can hold you back. But at some point recognizing, okay, I'm good at shit. I can do a lot of things. Whether or not I'm the best at it doesn't matter. That, this is kind of incredible because I'm sort of in, in real time right now, guys, <laughs> telling myself something. It doesn't matter that I am the best at something. Because I, there's no way to be the best at something if I don't have this current moment where I'm not, very much not the best at something and quite, quite frankly struggle at a lot of things. It's okay to suck. And suck in front of people. <laughs> suck in public, guys. If you take nothing else, just be unafraid to suck in public. That's going to be Motivation Monday. Hashtag. Quote on a cute little graphic with my face on it. <laughs> you think I'm kidding? I'm not. Um, interestingly, another fear that came in from a listener, success. Now, to be honest, I rolled my eyes when I saw that. Because uh, it's sort of like when you when you prepare yourself to go into an interview and you have the canned response when they ask you what what your weakness is, and you're you know you like I I my go to is like that I I have a like I desire perfection and I need to work against that. That's sort of the same kind of eye roll response to you know um, I receive that in the same way. Um, but it can be it can be comfortable. To be in a position in which, um, God, what am I, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, a, a parallel here to compare it to. I think like when, okay, maybe this will, this comparison may or may not work, but like I, I've had, and, and I'm going to go pretty far away, but then just stick with me here. But, uh. I've, um, most of my relationships, my romantic relationships have all been challenging, challenging and put me in a state of being very sad, um, and just like heartbroken. And when you have that experience a lot, you learn that like, that's where you're comfortable um, are not by choice necessarily, but that's just how, that's what you know. And so you, you, you know, those patterns, you know, how you, you take comfort almost in that feeling. And it's like a warm blanket and you just let yourself like, um, 
feel sad and cry and you only enhance that with sad songs and watch sad movies and eat crappy foods and just kind of almost relish, not relish in it because that sounds like you're enjoying it. But if you're so used to that, you don't know and, and that becomes an identity almost. Right. If you spend enough time doing particular particular thing, it seeps in and it becomes an identity because if you spend time on it and that's how you are, that's an identity. Um, so if success is scary because all you've known is not necessarily failure, but just like working towards that success and that's become your identity is like the struggle and the grind Maybe, maybe what this person is means by being afraid of success is like a, a similar, just like another way to put being afraid to put yourself in a position of opportunity because you don't want to suck. You don't want to fail. You don't want to fuck up the opportunity that you're given. And so instead of being game for it and, you know, without question, putting yourself out there. You hang back and, you know, you're, you're like, I'm good. I'm good right here. I just need to, like, get my footing here. And then when I'm ready, I'll jump. Honestly, you can't be mad. You can't be mad at somebody for feeling that way. We, we all progress at our own speed, you know? Like if we really compare it to jumping off, not jumping off a cliff, but like jumping um, over a divide, right? Like an actual crevasse or whatever. Some of us, based on what skills we have and abilities we have, we know what we can do. So in this, in this comparison, it's like an athletic feat. If you have those, that athleticism and you've, Put yourself in positions in which you've had to challenge yourself to the utmost enough times that jumping over the crevasse is easy. Not necessarily easy in the act itself, but just putting yourself in that position to do it and being confident in your ability. That's easy. But for those of us who haven't really honed in the skill set of challenging ourselves where we're uncomfortable or maybe the maybe the situations that have been presented to us aren't aren't tapping into our skill set right we all have different skill sets but if we aren't well practiced at it of course we're going to be terrified and we're not going to jump i what if i've never jumped before if i've never jumped it's fucking terrifying to jump and that should be okay don't make me jump because I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to not make it. I'm not resistant to not jumping, but let me let me step back a little bit and let me train. Let me, you know, figure out what I need to do to feel confident so that I make the jump. My dog is making so much noise right now and it is distracting me. You probably can't even hear it. Like she just literally plopped her heavy body onto the ground and is like trotting all over the place. Anyways, um, yeah, give me some time. Give me like a month at least to work on my, my plyometric 
uh, ability, right? My legs, my, you know, broad jump, whatever. <laughs> like, let me, um, and that, that's a very real thing. Not all of us are ready. And just because some of us hang back a little bit and act timid at first, that is not bad. I'm telling you right now, guys, if you are hesitant about something, I actually, I'm not going to say just fuck it. Just go for it. Even though I probably said something like that just, you know, 20 minutes before, but I would, I would venture to guess that most of you are actually in a, in a place where you know, you can do it. You know, you can do it, but you're like, you're not quite sure how to approach it in a way where you are actually going to be able to do it. And that is totally okay. Let's not, let's quit beating ourselves up about, you know, not just blindly jumping into things just because we can and like, you know, we should and everything like that. I think there's, I think there's much logic and, and much wisdom in hanging back and figuring out your next moves and like figuring out how you're going to actually tackle a particular thing. But so I won't say like, fuck, fuck off. Tell, tell your fear to fuck off. Don't, I mean, you know, it's there for a reason. It's probably telling you something. It's telling you, okay, well, let's figure, let's figure this out. It's kind of scary right now, but let's like go about this in a way that we know we can handle. So instead of forcing you to do something, I'm going to say, listen, you're going to figure this out ultimately. So you can forgive yourself for hesitating, right? Don't beat yourself up for anything because that's only going to, to waste time in the long run because you're just going to like spiral in this back and forth but you got this boo you got this you're gonna do it figure out what it is that you need to do in order to achieve the thing right whatever practice whatever trainings whatever whatever time you gotta put in to ultimately in the end make the jump go for it and for those of you who are just balls to the wall and that's how you do stuff and you just go at it for like you're a one shot kind of first timer kind of person and you just like kill it then good for you that's amazing too go for it jump over the thing but let's not let's quit like beating each other up and pushing people and forcing people out of their comfort zone like we're all adults here we know what we need to do So let's stop fearing the fear because fear is going to be there regardless. Fear is just a way of communicating to you that something is important and it means something, which is valuable. You want to know what those things are, but, and you can't get, you can't get rid of it. Fear, fear is just like a nat, it's an instinct. But how you respond to that fear is something you can train. And it may not happen immediately, but it will happen. But you have to train it, unfortunately. So you've just got to figure out what it is that you, you can do to address that fear and keep on working at it and find, find things to do that feed into that um, training. And, and that way you, you build a resistance to that fear, you build a natural response that is productive against that fear. And that way you can go for it. Man, I give the best advice to myself, you guys. 
Oh my God. Therapy, what? Ooh, this is a good one. The next one, commitment. Oh man, okay. So I need a moment with this. Commitment. Uh, my automatic response to that, of course, I mentioned before having negative uh, relationship experiences where the person was never ready to be commit committed. Um, so I, the initial response is to roll my eyes. But what is that? What is happening there? Again, it is um, this idea. And oh, man, that's OK. There's 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 a couple things at play. Society tells you that you have to do certain things. And if we're going to if we're going to frame commitment with relationships, which I think this is what this person is talking about, there's a good chance, um, you know, you get married. That's the ultimate uh, status goal. Right. And then that's it. And you're stuck. That's why they that's why they created divorce, guys. It's not the best, but it happens. It happens. So to be able to acknowledge that. Like that's a re that's that's a possibility that people evolve. Then maybe you wouldn't be so afraid of commitment. Um, there's always a do over. <laughs> you know, we we grow. We if we're lucky enough to find somebody that grows with us, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. But it, but I don't think I don't think it's even like a. You're lucky if it's just a natural thing that you learn how you 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 evolve with somebody naturally or you learn how to. Um, or you, like that you're open to it. And so it just happens easily. But I think a lot of the time you have to make the choice. You have to make the choice to see the other person and acknowledge that they're just as imperfect as you are and that they're going through things and you're going through things and they differ from each other and how, and who you are as humans are different. And speaking of fear, how you cope with that fear and how you go about your life, it's just different. It's just different. And sometimes it could be at odds when someone else's journey um, impacts their relationship with you. But there's nothing to be afraid of. But, you know, it's confrontation. So, yeah, so you can, com you can commit to somebody, but then if it all falls apart, that's uncomfortable because no matter how, um, how reasonable you are as a human being and you're way about the world when it comes down to being in a relationship and then ending that relationship i call bullshit on any couple who says that they can just they amicably part ways and they had this very rational wonderful discussion about how they've just grown apart and you know i call bullshit we put ourselves out there emotionally and to be vulnerable with somebody and uh, entangle our lives and our hearts and our everything, mental, physical, emotional, with somebody, spiritual with somebody. And when one person typically, you know, initiates the end of things and you've got to cut all of those entanglements apart, it's gonna hurt. And we do nasty things when we're hurt. And then, yeah, that's scary. So is that what you're afraid of? Are you afraid of the end of things and you are afraid of the tearing apart of two lives uh, that were once kind of intertwined and that's why you're afraid of commitment? I mean, understandable, but you can either, you can either continue to be afraid of 
the possible end of things. I can't, you know, we can't promise, I can't promise you that that won't ever happen to you ever again. Um, but there's, there's other pains to, to being solely focused on your self-preservation, you know, uh, you know, being lonely. We're, I mean, whatever your version of companionship, whatever that picture is, whether it's marriage or not, it is nice to have a companion, but if you're, you know, only capable of um, taking care of yourself and preserving yourself. That's, I mean, that's fine too. That's your prerogative. But if you would like companionship, you're just going to have to deal with the fear of commitment unless you can find someone else who's not as committed. But maybe the fear, actually, maybe your fear of commitment, I keep wanting to burp. Maybe your fear of commitment is actually an indication of how vulnerable you are when you do open yourself up. So we, you know, we quickly interpret those who are fearful of commitment as people who are ruthless and just are detached emotionally. But I would actually venture to guess that they are the most emotional and the most, um, fearful of being hurt because it doesn't take much and they don't know how to handle it. That's also a possibility too. You might just be a sensitive little, you know, flower. And I get that. I'm right there with you, man. Ooh, this one's heavy. The next one on my list, dying before fulfilling life's purpose. Okay. Ooh, that's a lot. I... Um, it is a very, not conventional, what is, what is the word I'm looking for? Um, we want to have meaning in life, right? Like we question what is the meaning all the time. And if we don't have a purpose, then it could be like, what, what is it all for? Right. But the truth of it is we are just specks in the universe, if that. We are like a nano, whatever is like a million times smaller than a nano dust mite of, you know, matter or whatever. And, 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 and this is just my rational side talking first. I have a spiritual side. I'm not like shitting on the idea of a life's purpose, but I'm just trying to like devil's advocate this here. What if your life doesn't have a purpose? What if it's just, I mean, it could be just a figure of speech also. So I'll give you that. But you just want to find something that you enjoy doing and you find fulfillment in whatever, however fulfillment is measured for you. And that could be your thing for a while. And then maybe it changes five years from now, 10 years from now. When you become a senior citizen, maybe that changes. It definitely will change. So the idea of putting that much pressure on yourself and it's kind of it's kind of like the the career personal development equivalent to the whole relationship and commitment thing where like marriage is the measure of success and once you get there that's like you know the the forever state and if you fuck that up then who are you it's like life fulfillment 
purpose. I've, I've reached it, the pinnacle, and I'm good. And, you know, I can't fuck it up. I think that's, I think that's just way too much pressure. Not to say that you shouldn't try to find something that feels like that, but I want to regard the idea of a life's purpose more as like a figure of speech because it will change. It will change. And if it doesn't change, then that's cool. That's great. You know? But I would, I would argue, I would venture to guess, I would predict that it's going to change. So being fearful of never achieving it might just be unnecessary energy put on you and it makes you feel miserable, which it has the effect of, you know, inhibiting or dampening whatever it is that you're trying to do in the first place. So all of that energy is, is cyclical as in it goes back to you is what I mean by that. So it's just going to impact nobody else but you. And, and I guess it impacts the people who you would ultimately end up impacting if you just kind of did the thing. Um, but fearing that you are going to die before you fulfill the one thing is a lot. I think every morning that you wake up, you're fulfilling a purpose. And it, maybe it's a selfish purpose, but it's not. If you have family, that's going to make me emotional. If you have family, if you have people who love you, you have a purpose. You know? So don't worry about dying before you ever fulfilled it because you have it everyone has a purpose so don't don't measure it based on you know i mean you you can strive for greatness please do but don't measure it like with this you know super lofty thing and just like beat yourself up or like put this undue pressure to to achieve you know just do just do do your damn thing whatever you're doing you're already doing it you're on your way you're on your way you don't have to rush you don't have to rush the time that it takes to get there because that's not prescribed the time you go at your own pace because it's your life and you don't measure your life against other people's lives because it's not yours and it's not theirs it is all our own so just so just do the damn thing but don't think that you don't have a purpose oh man that's some real, that's some real shit. We all have a purpose. And you are here for a reason. And the only one who doesn't know it is you. Okay. Oh, okay, I gotta move on from that one. It's real heavy. Next one on my list, thank God, paranormal activity. This was a funny one, right? 
because fear is learned via experience or stories and really paranormal okay paranormal activity depending on who you talk to that that is real or not and oh god i have a heart i want it to be real you know but there's a good chance a very good chance it's not real so it's all just learned i know in vietnamese culture there's a lot of stories about like ghosts and stuff like that and you know we human beings are crazy okay we make up stuff and we see things so uh if we're if we're basing it on eyewitness testimony and then that you know filtered through many people i mean you've played telephone right so any any stories about paranormal activity activity and interactions with ghosts and all that whatever versions of that um you hear about your uncle like in the village saw a ghost of his dead wife or whatever like <laughs> i call bullshit because there are things like drugs out there and alcohol and all that stuff that makes us see shit. I personally have never had the experience of seeing things. I'm very open to it, um, but I'm also not at the same time. You know, I feel like um, I should do shrooms in my life before I die, but uh, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not quite ready to, but you know, like stuff like that, like that makes you see shit. If you have an active imagination, you know, that could be what's happening. I thought I really wanted so badly to have witnessed paranormal activity when I was living in the first dorm uh, building that I was in in college. I, I attended an art school and all the dorms were like all over the city. So they it wasn't like a traditional uh, college campus. And um I was in an old mansion, basically, in San Francisco, an old mansion in Pacific Heights. So you can only imagine the history in that building. Uh, and it, it was an all-girls dorm, and it was a beautiful old, like a, an old mansion converted into a dorm. And I remember there were a lot of noises um, along the stair. It was like a grand, like a wooden staircase, and it was just very loud. Like, it wouldn't take much uh, to make some sounds and then have that echo throughout the entire house. And, you know, all the girls, we swear to God, we could hear footsteps, you know, that weren't like from a non-human, something was going on. Um, we, I think this could be explained by science, but I saw like drinking glasses move on the table, you know, like slide across the table. But I'm pretty sure, I don't know what's going on there, but I'm pretty sure it was wet at the bottom and something was going on. But I wanted so badly for that to be a ghost story to tell other people because I was living for the first time away from home and I'm in an old mansion in San Francisco. Like that's prime for paranormal activity. I wanted it. I remember my roommate was like talking in her sleep in, in not her usual voice. Her voice was very sweet and like higher pitched. Not higher pitch, but you know, she had a female voice. It was very sweet. But in her, her this, it was only like a one time or like a, over a few days or something like that. Maybe we were stressed out with finals, but when she was sleeping, she would be talking like a demon. Oh my God, I forgot all about this. Yeah, she was talking like a demon and stuff like that. And that was fucking scary. So yeah, I wanted paranormal activity. I wanted it to be real so badly. 
but you know, I'm super skeptical. So that's an, another example of like fake shit. Like we're scared of some fake shit. Don't let, don't let that hold you back. Oh, and the last thing on my list, I feel like we've been talking about just throughout the entire episode, but basically it's failure. Failure is scary because we do not want to suck at something out loud, but sometimes we need to in order to be able to um, get to a place where it is our, you know, if you want to use the language of destiny of finding your purpose, like you've got to take all the steps in order to find yourself in the right place. And then, you know, with your wisdom and experience you've accumulated, you make meaning out of it. It's, it's funny because the other day I was talking about how I felt really lucky. And I think this is just going to straight up be like my attitude of gratitude. Um, but uh, so I, I was reflecting on like how I kind of feel lucky to be in the position that I'm in right now. And my friend was like, lucky is bullshit. You put yourself here with the choices that you've made up to this point, the good decisions and the bad ones, but the, but the ones that have gotten you here were all you. So to give credit, excuse me, to give all the credit to luck is bullshit. And I really appreciated that because it's, again, you know, I, I said it kind of as a more of a figure of speech because I always say to people, like, I don't, I don't believe in the, um, the phrase, uh, things happen for a reason because it sounds like there was a destiny that was, that is yours and that you are fine. You're going to find your way there. It actually is. There's no dest there's no final destination, guys. There's no like thing that your life was destined to be and that you're just bumbling around in the dark until you get there. Whatever is happening in your life currently is is a lot of it is coincidence, okay? But you also are learning lessons and you're making decisions that end up building the next step. So instead of thinking of it as like you're bumbling in the dark towards this destination, it's more like there is no, there is nothing in front, but there's a, there's tools and there's supplies that you gather along the way with every experience that you have, with everything that you learn from those experiences and every step forward you make because of those experiences. And also you know, when you fall back a few steps too, that happens as well, but you're building your path as you go. So those tools and those bricks or whatever the path is made out of is being constructed. And it's just, it's just going to keep going. You're just going to build a beautiful ass brick road. And some parts are shittier than others. Sure. But you know, by the end of it, you're going to have a great wall of China. And that's really what's happening. So my attitude of gratitude is that I'm proud of myself and what I've, how I've navigated thus far, the, the challenges that have come my way and the decisions that I've made in order to um, get around those challenges or get over them or get through them. And if I hadn't made those decisions and, and if I, you know, I evaluate my life sometimes negatively because I'm, I'm frustrated that it took me so long to do X, Y, and Z. 
but that's I'm and sometimes I, I play up the negativity for effect, but really we got to train ourselves out of that. You know, if, if nothing, I mean, there's a couple of takeaways I want you to have from this episode, but another one would be that um, you can train yourself out of any kind of mindset if it's not serving you. So I need to stop telling myself that um, I took too long to do anything. I, I was doing things just right. And that that's just my life. And I will, you know, you put in work, you put in work and that gets credit. Last night I attended an event at the Riveter um, and it was, you know, I, I, I hate those things. Like I hate networking events because socially awkward. Uh, I'm socially awkward in those kinds of environments and the types of people who show up to these events, it takes me back to high school a little bit. Um, I don't know. I don't know how to navigate in that kind of social hierarchy, uh, if you will. But um, it was, it was surprisingly insightful. And if I could take anything away from that, it's, it's, it's two things. I'm in the right place. I, and I don't mean like, oh, I'm in LA right now and so I'm in the right place. But I've decided, I, there was a reason that the kind of opportunities that exist here were appealing to me. And I chose, I chose to figure out how to get here and I did. And even though I lost my job at the beginning of the year and that was unexpected, it was it was, I was about to say perfect timing, but I don't want to use the word perfect because I want to move away from that vernacular. It was just a, um, a great transition. It was a great thing to force me out of my current cycle and put me in a position where I am now where I can create my own opportunities, which was my destiny, oh, here we go with that, with that vernacular, destiny and luck and purpose and whatever. It's really hard to get yourself out of that. And I think it's okay to say it because then you're just like having awkward conversations with people trying to explain why you're not using that language anymore. But when I say that, don't take it the way that, you know, it is a good time to be alive is what I ultimately mean. <laughs> I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to have the skill sets that I have and um, to have an opportunity right now to really like seize the day and like build my own thing because I don't think I would have done that on, I wouldn't have done that if you were to, you know, rewind about six months ago, I would not have considered doing this. And I never even imagined ever in my life doing anything. I don't even know what I'm doing just yet, but I kind of have a picture um, and I'm working towards it. And so I'm grateful to be in a place where I have these unexpected um, experiences. Last night's event, there was um, panelists that I, I did not have hopes for. I even forgot who I was going to see. But what, what they were saying to me really like struck, struck something in me. And it gave me a little bit more fuel to my fire, you know? So I'm really grateful for that. And and so I, I 
despite having any kind of hangups, like for myself being in a social environment like that, I'm uncomfortable recognizing that, but then still putting myself in that position. Basically I'm trying to continuously do that is, um, not ignoring that I have any discomfort or challenges or whatever the, the negative side of the coin is. Acknowledge it, but then also find a way to overcome it or like to put myself in in the situation regardless of that negative um, response or fear-based thing or, or you know, instincts I have to to avoid it. To still put myself out there because there's something to be to be learned from it and to be gained. And uh, yeah, here we are, episode three. And I'm going to keep going because I'm, I see, I see a path. I see a path and we're going to get there. I thank you guys for joining me on this path. Uh, it's a lot more fun with company. Let me tell you. Um, and yeah, keep on like sharing your stories with me. Cause that's the best part of all this. I, I, I just really want you to know that you're not alone. And again, I'm sharing my shit so that you can feel better about your shit and get excited about your shit. Because that's all I want is excited shit. <laughs> all right, guys, thanks for listening. You can watch the video version of this podcast on my YouTube channel. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Tina Bites. That's really the only social media I use. Um, so yeah, so hang out with me there. And uh, I think that's it. I want to flip this and next time talk about joy. I think the theme will be what brings you joy? And we're going to talk about some fun, happy stuff. Um, change it up a little bit. Until next time, stay hungry. Bye, guys.